Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Even if sometimes I don't know who you are, I love you. I'll never stop loving you. I guess you and me are just fools for love or something. Written in the stars or some crap like that. But I'm never better than with you, Steve. Never more real. Good evening and welcome to television. Hey! Hi there! Hey. Whoa! Hey. hey! I'm a Philip And I'm Wayne Stellini, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Wayne, what have you been watching recently? Ah, uh, well, Philip, I revisited Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so a uh, film directed by Toby Hooper and produced by Steven Spielberg. Uh-huh. Yep, but uh, of course, Spielberg took all the credit because he's a superstar. Of course. And how about yourself, Philip? What have you been watching? Um, I've been lazy. I've <laughs> been just binging old episodes of Star Trek Next Gen. Ooh, and when did they come out? That was like the uh, late 80s to early 90s. Oh, so lots of fun. I've, lots I, of fun. Yeah, I've only been, I'm only familiar with the Star Trek films. Ah, uh, yeah. But yes, I'm trying to avoid the series because I know I'll be sucked in forever. Yeah. Yes, yes, as as I have been. There's a major difference between the original series and Next Gen. It's meant to be progressive, but, you know, from our standards, it's still very misogynistic. And jump into this other one, which is... You know, from our standards, a lot more progressive. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting when you watch something with a modern lens. That's it, yeah. that's it. Well, speaking of alternative lenses, Ooh. what about today's film? Today's film is I Love You, Philip Morris. Tell us about it, Janet. <laughs> I Love You, Philip Morris is a 2009 black comedy drama film based on the 1980s and 90s real-life story of con artist, imposter, and multiple prison escapee Stephen J. Russell, as played by Jim Carrey. While incarcerated, Russell falls in love with his fellow inmate, Philip Morris, played by Ewan McGregor. After Morris is released from prison, Russell escapes four times to be reunited with Morris, only to be captured each and every time. The film was adapted from the book of the same name by Steve McVicker. This film is the directorial debut of Glenn Flickera and John Requa. Wayne. Yes, Philip. What are your thoughts? When you first told me about this film, I was taken by the title. Yep. You know, a title sells a show. Of course. (laughs) And I did do a little bit of reading up on it Mm. beforehand, but not too much because I like to be surprised with films. I don't want to know too much. But I had learned that it was based on a true story and got the overall synopsis and it intrigued me. Mm Mm-hmm. I was really interested in it and I was interested to see how this film would play out, especially since you had told me that it was a comedy and it was a queer comedy. And automatically it had sort of flagged to me that we've got two heterosexual actors playing (laughs) the two gay leads and nothing wrong with that at all, but that automatically positions, I think, an audience member into thinking, how are these guys going to play these characters? And especially when they're so recognisable. Yes. Jim Carrey, Ewan McGregor. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have a lot of diverse roles under their belt but are they going to be convincing as a couple if they're two unknown actors I don't think I would have cared so much about their sexual orientation or how they present themselves in the real world sometimes it can be difficult to distance the real person and the character in saying that a good actor will make you believe whatever they're presenting on screen yes and we have two very good actors yes putting it mildly yeah yeah. they're incredible talents 
Jim Carrey is a zany figure <laughs> and I think he's perfectly cast in this role. Yep. So he was a lot of fun to watch. He's actually quite subdued. He is he as is. well. So I think the directors have done really well at pairing him, him in and yeah, him up, yeah, pairing him down, but just saying you know th- you can have fun with this character because this character needs to be very brazen. Yes, yes. This character Steve never gives up. Yes. <laughs> if there is a moral to the story, is we don't quit. Yes. It's follow your heart. Yep. Love is worth it. Yep. And one thing I found about you and McGregor's portrayal of Philip is what a sweetheart. Yes. There's one thing that I felt, especially like halfway through the film, it really honed in on me and I've gone, I understand why <laughs> Steve would go to all this trouble to be with Philip. Yes. And that is a testament to Ewan's That's performance, it, I think. Certainly. I think that we probably don't get to see a lot or learn enough about Philip from my point of view. He's so interesting. I would have loved to have seen more more, about him. But maybe just seeing a romanticized version of him is Mm. what we need because the film is told from Stephen's point of view. Mm. And if he's going to all of this trouble, let's face it, Philip's going to be perfect. Yes. Yeah. So, Philip, what were your thoughts about this having now brought it to me? Well, when I first saw it, I yeah, I just fell in love with the characters. I thought the storytelling was amazing. The characters were absolutely beautiful. That Philip, oh, gorgeous. He's absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. One of the main themes I think he just touched on again is protection, is protecting him. He's always wanting to. Yeah. Stephen is always wanting to protect Philip. And again, just like you just said, and I'm parroting here, but <laughs> you can very much see why he's this beautiful, beautiful character. So when I first saw it, I thought it was an absolute cracker of a comedy. I thought it was absolutely just a, a good, a good laugh, a good, a good a wholesome film, as it were. You know, they're not wholesome in family wholesome, <laughs> but it was, it was just really good. There's a lot of charm, I think. There's a lot of charm. That's that's it. Charming. There was yes. something very charming about it. I did find, however, and this is a, a, a something I'd like to delve into, if you if you may. Yes, I'll indulge. That, <laughs> that my second viewing was. Actually, I, I sat there starting to get uncomfortable. Okay. I found myself getting a little uncomfortable. And then I realized it's because I've said all this stuff about this queer film and then realized halfway through a lot of the humor is based on the fact that they are queer. Yes. A lot of the humor is, you know, foul derogative language. Yes. Um, even if it is said by the homosexuals themselves it is still and then on top of that it, they're straight actors um <laughs> if you dive in a bit it's straight directors yes <laughs> yes yeah, you're right the, the the humor is very let's say as many queer orientated gags as possible yeah but one thing that i found about that was that i don't feel that the jokes are said at the expense of Stephen or philip mm. Even jokes that don't really involve both of them. So, for example, when Steve is giving a new inmate a tour and, you know, there's many ways that you can get along in prison and a recurring gag gag performance. (laughs) (laughs) Duty. Yes, 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 if we're going into the world, yes. Payment method. Payment. Payment method is probably the most accurate, is said repeatedly. As a running gag, I think that's hilarious. And what that does is that is, I wouldn't even say is a gay gag, to be honest. I think it's Uh, a prison culture gag. But for me, I found the humour, even the gay jokes, okay, 
acceptable mm. and quite funny because I don't think it's ever at the expense mm. of the gay characters. And there are jokes that are that are around, they're more subtle, mm. but are delivered to and from and by and mm. addressing the heterosexual characters as well. Yes, so yes. I think it's the style of humour it works for the purpose yes, of this. Definitely. Yeah, I love this part where Stephen, he tells a joke and then it just runs through the sort of <laughs> heterosexual community as... And by the end, he gets told the joke again, completely bastardized. Yes, destroyed. <laughs> destroyed. It's very much Chinese whispers. <laughs> that's it, that's yeah. it. And he just sits and goes, freaking morons. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that was quite... But, yeah, I just I just sort of to do this, though, I, I find that this is something, and look, maybe this isn't this movie per se, but movie-going experience. And something that I don't think is talked about a lot... And when it is online, I'll tell you now, it's uh, usually met with uh, some Tumblrite who sits there and says, you can't say that, you can't talk about that. So we're taking the PC badge off. We're taking the PC badge off, just slightly, possibly. possibly. Yes, why not? But it's sort of, it's around that point of when, and I'll say it straight up, when straight people try to do, Mm. I never introduced this to you as, oh, you'll get this because, you know, it's it's queer theatre, you'll get that, you'll get that. But I did sort of sit there and think, oh, it is a funny thing. And then, as I said, halfway through, thought, oh, shit, should I be? (laughs) I think that's an experience a lot of people that aren't from uh, minorities get. I suppose I want to have that question. Is that something that is allowed to be talked about? Is that something that's, you know... The being uncomfortable or... Oh, the being uncomfortable, but I mean, like, even so, like, obvious things that you can't do, you know, like, you know, oh, you're gay, I've got a gay mate, I'll hook Mm -hmm. you up. Okay, yes. I've been told time and time again that's a faux pas. That's right. But then, when you're coming to a movie like this, again, I never saw it as, oh, you enjoy it because... I know you well, so it's fine, but for other people... Would this be seen as a faux pas to turn around and say, oh, I think you'll enjoy this movie and then because of its content? Well, I think there's many reasons why you would bring a film like I Love You, Philip Morris to any audience member. Mm -hmm. So it could be that the person you're giving it to enjoys queer cinema. Mm Mm-hmm. It could be that they enjoy crime capers. Yeah. They could like love stories. Yes. So I think it's all about the intention. Beautiful, yeah. You're right. It is a very old-fashioned thing. Oh, you're gay. (laughs) I have a second cousin's neighbor's best friend, pen pal, who is gay. You might know him. (laughs) (laughs) When you had presented this film to me last time when you'd mentioned it, Mm. I hadn't even heard of it. Mm. So somebody such as myself who enjoys queer cinema, who likes to follow it up, especially the history of queer cinema, this never was on my radar. So I think it was great to offer it to me as a film in terms of a style of a genre of a movement that I enjoy and also actors that I enjoy, a style of humour that I think you know I enjoy. Mm. Uh, So for me, it worked on, on many levels. So in terms of you and I, I don't think it was a faux pas. In terms of you offering it to somebody else who could like like any or all of these mm. elements, I think is perfectly fine. Mm. I can appreciate there is a bit of a hesitation, perhaps, mm. Mm. about you know, will they know what my intentions are? For example, I myself really love black exploitation films. Yes, yes. I am not black. I haven't actually given a black exploitation film to a black friend of mine to say, "Hey, you'll enjoy this because you know, <laughs> you're black. It's a black exploitation." I wouldn't do that, but. 
I would present it to somebody if I thought, hey, this is such a great film. Mm. You might enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I would do that whether they're a black, white or whatever mm. ethnicity. And I think the same thing in terms of sexual orientation, especially these days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So hopefully now, if we ever watch it again or you present me another queer film, mm-hmm. be a bit more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's it. And then I suppose on that sort of point, more to the creation of the film, etc. Yes. Again, you touched on it earlier. The two actors are straight. Yes. The directors are straight. Yes. We hear a lot in this in Hollywood about, you know, oh, whitewashing and uh, straightwashing, I think was another one. I mean, you've already sort of touched on your thoughts and said how they did it really well. Yes. But diving into that a bit further, what are your thoughts surrounding that? I think the gut instinct is always to say, for a queer story, there should be queer people making it, queer people Mm. performing in it. But if I then go back and look at some of the more significant films that tell queer stories and queer perspectives, the sexuality of the participants is varied. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as the message gets through, I don't think it really matters. The film industry in itself isn't one where people have always been able to be open. Yeah, It's quite a recent phenomenon when you've got somebody just straight off the bat is very open about their sexual orientation and can play a diverse range of roles. Yeah. But again, that is very recent. Mm. So it's probably a bit too early to say only gay people should play gay characters, only gay filmmakers should tell gay stories. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that that's fair. Yeah. I think that anybody who comes to make a film such as this one always comes at it with the greatest of intentions. Yeah, yeah. The only difference is, Philip, is that had these two gentlemen who directed I Love You, Philip Morris, got it wrong, we would automatically say yeah. it's because they're straight. Yeah. If they were gay or an alternative filmmaker mm. who was gay made it, and maybe got it wrong, we would not put his sexuality into the mix. Into the question, yeah. Or we could argue it's impossible for him or her to get a queer story yeah. wrong. They're, they're gay, therefore it's us as viewers that are seeing it wrong. Yes, or of seeing it differently or not getting the vision. Yeah. Or we wouldn't even say they got it wrong. We would just say, oh, I didn't like that film. Yes, I see that, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, again, I've seen a lot of fantastic films that belong to the queer cinema canon, if you like, mm. and genre, and a lot of them have been directed by heterosexual people. A lot of them have starred heterosexual people. Mm. Admittedly, most of these stories, I guess, come from gay writers. So that's that influence and that vision. But you're a writer yourself. When you hand it over to a director, you lose all control of that vision. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the director, depends how collaborative they are, depends on how strict they are with their vision. Yeah, yeah. There might be even more collaboration, yeah. and that—that's you know, this is actually obviously based on a true story, a book of a true story. So, yeah. you know, I see where you're coming from with that yeah. side of things. Some of this is very far-fetched. Yes, one of those of fact is stranger than fiction. Yeah. So, if anything, this film really made me want to read the book. Yeah, definitely. I'm yeah. so curious to read this book and to flesh out a few more things. If I'm being critical of the film, is some of those moments are painted over very broadly. For example, the whole film could have just been Philip and Steve in prison. Yes, yes. The whole film could have been about embezzlement. Yes. It could have been about living the lifestyle. This is such a complex web (laughs) of lies and performance and stealing that Steve weaved. Yeah. Most of the time, unbeknownst to Philip, 
which is why we love him because yeah. <laughs> he is so innocent that I don't know how you could really do it justice mm. in, you know, a, in a movie that's a standard running time of a film. That's not to say that I don't think this film does justice to their story without knowing mm. it in full detail. There were moments where I've just gone, oh, I wanted to know more about that. Yes. I wanted to know more about that. If I may, one of the things that left me a little bit unsatisfied is the apparent terminal illness Yes. That Steve has. Now, before it's revealed what's going on there, Mm. because it's revealed that Stephen is dying from AIDS. Mm. And as it's happening, I've just gone, he doesn't look like he's dying from AIDS. Yeah. Yes, he looks ill. Mm. Yes, he looks a bit underweight and pale. Mm. But he doesn't have the facial characteristics. He doesn't have the markings that we associate with the HIV AIDS virus. And so I didn't actually believe it. Yeah. There's a reason why I didn't believe it. (laughs) And it's revealed why. But then I've gone... Why isn't anyone else, else doing it, believing yeah. it? And, and even the, 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 the call of, oh, well, American bureaucracy took over. Is yeah. that little bit... Yeah, I want to know the rest of that story. I want to yeah. know at what point did no one think it was a good idea to do an actual test? At what point did no one actually check for said markings? I, I, I actually, not knowing mm. um, AIDS all that well, I didn't know there were marks. I knew the shrunken face. I knew the, the thinness. I knew all mm. that sort of stuff. I didn't know there were markings to be watch out for. Yes, yeah, so in the late stages of the AIDS virus, and once again with modern medicine, mm-hmm. these are... I believe quite rare to reach this yeah. stage but based on when this film is set yeah. and it's not always clear when the film is set we're really only given a date towards the end yeah only given a date towards the end and you know through Google <laughs> yes exactly but taking the film as itself we only see I think it's 1998 yeah. is when it's sort of ending so then in your mind you have to go back and say okay how much time was this when was this happening yeah. when was this happening so based on when I believe Steve's character was allegedly dying from AIDS Medicine was not that advanced as it is now. So he would have had lesions on his face all over his body. Mm. And the fact that nobody would question it just made me go... I'm not really buying it. Yeah. Now, the f- sorry, the fact that he was faking it is fine. And that, as an audience member, says, okay, I understand why you don't have them. Yeah. M- directors, makeup artists, you're not doing a bad job. But I then go, why are medical professionals... Yeah. And that, that I actually, knowing that now, I go, well, was that a mistake by the directors? Yeah. I, you just said, you know, it's not their mistake because he's faking it. But yeah. is it a mistake... Did, in real life, he give himself welts, legions, whatever? Yeah. Did he draw stuff on and it was enough to, you know, fake people give him a quick glance over? Because the whole point is that he supposedly done all the phone calls and stuff to sort of say that, oh, yeah, I did those tests. Yes, yeah, so sort of if thing, he did so. everything a bit more under the radar, I guess, by yeah. handling everything himself. Yeah. But my question is that if you're being... If you're, if you're a basic... If you're a doctor that specialises in AIDS, then you'll yep. go... Where's the marks? Yes. That and, doesn't look right. And they are extraordinarily significant. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Was that a mistake by the director? Yeah. The writer-director? Or was that something that actually Stephen messed up himself in reality? And I think for me, I don't necessarily want to be spoon-fed things in films. But I feel like that if he's gone to the point of saying, you know, no one ever gave me a blood test. Mm. So that was something he didn't have to worry about. Yeah. In the same breath, even if it wasn't true, 
Mm. I think for the film. Yeah. Because again, a film has to tell the whole story. It didn't say, here's the beginning, do some research as to why, I feel. But I feel like he should have had some sort of acknowledgement of saying they didn't even check lesions or nobody even asked me about lesions. Yeah, exactly. And if you're picking that out very easily, we can assume plenty of other people didn't pick it out. And on top of that, end of the day, these uh, queer theatre, queer film is often aimed at the queer community. Yes. Therefore, if this was aimed at the straight community and there's a bunch of me sitting in mm-hmm. watching it, then sure, no one would pick that up. Yes. But if it's aimed at the queer community, then almost everyone is going to pick that up. And if I want to go even a bit further into this moment, is that moment when he's allegedly dying is mid to late 90s, for mm. argument's sake. A mainstream movie-going audience, mainstream America knew what AIDS looked like because in the early to mid-90s, films started getting made about them. Most significantly, Philadelphia. So everyone knows the scene of Tom Hanks in the courtroom, opens up his shirt and you can see lesions. His character became Hollywood's face of HIV AIDS Hmm. in the movies. And it was okay to tell these stories. So again, when this film is set, there is a wider consciousness about somebody dying from AIDS and what they look like. So that lost me a little bit. And then understanding that he had faked it all, Mm. I've just gone, well, the people around him are idiots. Yeah, yes, that's it. And even though that's what they're trying to show, you're right, there should have been something on that, you know. As you say, why didn't they... They didn't check me for a blood test or welts. Yeah, and the thing is that Steve is a little bit arrogant. Yeah. um, And very confident, Mm. very smooth. So for me he would have relished in saying I'm smarter than the doctors because I tricked everybody. Yeah, that's it. So, So, yeah, so I think I just needed that little bit to say he had covered all bases, I think. But, yeah, that's just something that really stuck to me in the film as a detail that I just really wanted explained. Yeah. But, again, the film, as I said, paints in broad strokes. That's perfectly fine. We get a fun, engaging, charming summary of this romance. And, again, you cannot deny that he truly loved Philip Morris. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One other thing I want to point out, and again, this comes from, I think, an audience perspective. I was saying to Wayne off recording that I've actually can't think off the top of my head. I'm sure if I, you know, got got thrown a handful of titles, I'd go, oh yeah, but except for that one. <laughs> oh, except for that one. <laughs> but I can't think off the top of my head any homosexual characters that are either not extreme parodies of the culture, uh, pure comedy, or some form of bad guy. And within that, I can't think of a romance story that hasn't had it just about sex or or they're actually a little bit nasty and evil or, or, yeah. or whatever. So, for example, in this, you see a lot when he's first discovering his sexuality, it's all about sex. Yes. It's all about sex. It's all about money. It's all about uh, a look. It's very little about actual romance for him. He does have this one line that does tie into a stereotype where he says, being gay is expensive. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And then later for me, another poignant part is when Philip, who is this sweet, beautiful person, confronts Stephen for he has another character beaten up um, for just being annoying. (laughs) And... Philip turns around and, you know, goes to confront him, but then says, that's the sweetest, nicest thing anyone's ever done. And you sort of sit back and go, so they're just assholes. 
to quantify what I'm saying, not just in here, I was watching Cruel Intentions recently. Yes. And I was just sort of phasing in and out of it, but they have the gay friend who, again, he's just a malicious bastard. Yes. You know, willing to, you know, have himself exposed with another guy just for blackmail. Yes. Sort of thing. So again... It's not painting this happy... Where you see on the contrast, you've plenty of stories of straight people, straight couples, happy, happy ending, all all beautiful together, and it doesn't have to be a comedy. It's played straight, so to speak. It's played straight, yeah, Yeah, that's it. And then, of course, you've got the comedy ones, such as uh, Modern Family, or um, the character in The Fifth Element, who's um, the announcer. He's, again, a very sort of queer stereotype loud in your face um feminine sort of thing which again doesn't portray a it portrays a fun look i think it's more of a let's portray a stereotype because then he's identifiable we know who he is it's interesting you say that because just to sidetrack a little Mm. bit but i do have relevance Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite movies is fame from 1980 Ah, and one of the characters is gay and Mm -hmm. you know there's a bit of a struggle with his sexuality Mm -hmm. when we fast forward quite a few years later to the remake somebody coming to terms with their sexuality is not a big deal yeah you know contemporary times yeah however Mm -hmm. there is one gay character in the film and it always surprises me that in a dramatic and performance art school there's only one gay person (laughs) (laughs) but we only know he's gay in the final act Ah. when he squeals over something that he's excited. Yeah. And I was so annoyed. Yeah. I just thought, wow. Wow, you, that's how you do it. This is a two-dimensional character that we haven't gotten to know or like, mm-hmm. but just in case we were confused, mm-hmm. you're going to make him squeal with excitement mm-hmm. just in case we weren't sure yeah. what his sexual orientation. It's not relevant to the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's not relevant to the character in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And you've relied on that. It's disappointing that yeah. a film made not so long ago, really, especially if you look at the scope of cinema yeah. and the history of cinema, that we're still resorting to that. But caricatures, mm. stereotypes are what we're used to, especially with ensemble pieces. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're right, Philip, that a story that's just about two people in love is rare mm. insofar that there's usually something else going on. So I don't know if I Love You, Philip Morris falls into the category of a straight out romance so to speak because it does have other things going on yeah it is all about it's almost more about the escapes yes it's about a life of crime i think it's more of a movie about two people in prison sometimes yeah the romance and the love is important because it is the motivator yes okay yes but is it an out and out love story i don't know yeah maybe it's the humor and the fact that it has to have all of this comedy around around it takes it away and i say that because again when we get to the final act and we think that steve has died i didn't get emotional yeah because i didn't feel so invested in them as a couple yeah i felt invested in steve's desire to be with philip yeah i felt invested in the fact that philip was in love and felt loved and protected by Steve. So there was a lot of me invested, I guess. But I don't know. I just, I would have expected to have been a bit more emotional when I thought Steve had died. Mm. If I was feeling anything, it would have been upset for Philip more than anything else. But I found it interesting that Jim Carrey, who delivers such a fun, engaging, charming, and likable performance overall, when it came to the crunch, I didn't really feel much. 
In terms of queer cinema as it's gone through, there are some examples of films where it is a you know out and out love story where romance, affection, companionship reigns supreme in the story. One of the more famous ones is Brokeback Mountain. Yes. However, I argue that Brokeback Mountain would not have captivated a mainstream audience had both of the characters lived. Ah. But because it has a tragic ending... Yeah, no, that makes sense. It captivated a mainstream heterosexual audience. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, What does that say about us? Th- or does that just sort of go back to Greek tragedy, do you reckon? It possibly could. Yeah. But the fact that these guys had a tragic story. Mm. And yes, there's plenty of tragic stories with heterosexuals. Mm. But if we weigh up the percentage of who lives happily ever after, yes, yes. it's skewed one way. There is another film which I think is one of the greatest queer films made. It's called Torch Song Trilogy. And that's a beautiful piece. Yep. But of course, there is tragedy in it there is a sense of love and loneliness throughout the film but it's more of an individual's arc yeah one of the few examples that come to mind in terms of queer stories where no one dies (laughs) and there is hope for our protagonists is a film called beautiful thing okay and that for me and i think a lot of people who look at queer cinema is one of the most significant films made about gay people yep it's quite extraordinarily beautiful. And it's one of those films that I think every queer person watches or needs to watch. Yeah. Because it is a story in which you genuinely believe you as a young person has a future where you will be loved. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So don't be surprised if that gets reviewed down the track. <laughs> because I've got your yeah. interest, I think, no, Philip. Definitely, definitely. Um, and it is, again, a beautiful and very important film. Yeah. It's a British film, so it doesn't get as much attention yeah, as of course, American films but I think anyone who looks at queer cinema will argue that it is such an important yeah rewarding beautiful funny yep thought-provoking film it's definitely one of my all-time favorites mm-hmm. of any genre as well I suppose I was thinking because yeah, I was before all that I was thinking oh I can't really think of too many of that. yeah I also can't think of a lot like you just said with those ones where not only do people end up happy but it sort of just portrays a normality yes there's nothing over the top it's just you know like I don't know what the queer little miss sunshine is <laughs> yes you know what I mean is where there one a, is there one <laughs> yeah you know what I mean you know it, where the family stays together and it's all that it's just a family movie so yes. as in about family yes sort of thing and the closest one i could think of is a tv series that's on at the moment called grace and frankie okay basic premise is that there's these two elderly couples mm-hmm. they're just in their sort of 60s 60s to 80s yes. sort of thing and the two men the two husbands have for 20 to 30 years realised they're gay, have been in love with each other, been having an affair. Okay. And finally, at the age of 60 to 80, they leave their partners and come out and get married to each other. Wow. Because, you know, it's been going on for far too long and all that sort of stuff. Yes. And it sort of deals with not only the gay men, but also their wives and how they end up dealing with it and all that sort of thing. Because the wives are left behind. And the wives are left behind. But also then the two families that, you know, were once just family friends. Yes. Now slam together as, (laughs) as as the, the father's, Get married. Yes. Sort of thing. So, so we have an interesting blended family, yeah, I that's guess, it. or a blended mix of a family. And the reason I bring it up is because whilst it's a comedy mm. and occasionally they play on the fact that 
you know, they're gay. And the two main male actors are Martin Sheen, who plays Robert, and Sam Watterson, who plays Sol. Right. And Robert is very right-wing conservative. Yes. In politics, and Sol is very left-wing hippie. We have an odd couple. We have an odd couple. (laughs) Yeah. But very rarely does it become about them being gay. Right. Outside of the fact that the whole show is about them being gay. Yes. They are not portrayed as, you know, stereotypically gay. So really, the fact that these two gentlemen decide we want to live the life that's going to fulfill us, Mm. even though it will hurt people Mm. we love Mm. initially, that's more just the catalyst for the show. The emphasis isn't necessarily we've left our wives to be together but we've done that and now this is the position we find ourselves in. Which I think, without having seen the show, Mm. sounds to me quite clever Mm. because typically, especially in more older films coming from the States and I suppose other countries too, is that the gay man, and it's usually the man, Mm. is always seen as a threat to the nuclear and traditional family unit. So the premise alone, before you got into more detail, made me go, well, I understand its heart might be in the right place, but already it's automatically saying that gay men destroy families <laughs> you know yeah, well, yeah, not yeah, to be yeah. too dramatic but, but you know i think that might be actually what it's yes the writers and its creation yeah is focusing on and, and you actually find obviously through the name of the show grace and frankie they position it from the wives point of view absolutely while still showing that you know these two blokes are actually still good guys yeah or can be bad guys yeah it sort of floats all the place sometimes the two wives are the bad guys yes it shows normality yes within the world and sometimes when you really want to push in normality and sometimes that in itself is even problematic mm. because there are queer activists who try to really push against what is established as normality. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, why should we conform or want to be like the oppressor? We should be who we are. So I think sometimes presenting a family unit with gay couples, gay families, can sometimes even be problematic in itself. Mm. If we look at Modern Family, for example, now that in the title in itself indicates that a modern family is just not mum, dad, 2.5 kids, white picket fence. It's a mix of a lot of beautiful human beings from different perspectives and cultures and backgrounds and political beliefs and all of these things. One of the criticisms about Modern Family was when it first came out, was the representation of our gay couple, Mitch and Cam. They're so heteronormative Mm. that it's almost insulting in the fact that, yes, we do have two men, but we have one who is quite effeminate. Mm -hmm. Our effeminate man stays home and raises the child. And the child is adopted. And the child is of a different race to themselves. It's ticking all of these boxes. boxes... Of a stereotype in saying that other aspects of that family do. Mm. Divorced father who has a younger trophy wife, if you will. You know, the boys are usually quite stupid and the women are very smart or very controlling. So I think in itself, Mitch and Cam and that aspect of modern family gets a pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think we can isolate Isolate these characters. It's the whole show does it. So Yeah. I think Yeah, I I, I think it just needs everything needs to be looked at. In context. in context and again with I Love You Philip Morris the context is there yeah I think so I think I was able to just really enjoy this film mm. again there were moments that I've just gone oh I want to know more about that or let me wonder about this that 
or the other. But Jim Carrey, Ewan McGregor are just charming. I wanted to fall in love with them as a couple a little bit more than I did. But overall, it's an incredible story and it really yeah. does make me want to look into it more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see a documentary that's able to, to go into more depth. Yeah. yeah. So, Philip, what did you give this out of five stars? Well, I have to agree with you with your final thoughts there that yeah, it's just this beautiful story. It's I always love a good true story. Yeah. And, and delving into it, just like you've said there. So I'd have to give this, I'd say four stars. It's not quite your memorable, oh my goodness, I, I've got to shout to the rooftops. But it's definitely one that even on a second viewing, I didn't find myself going, ah, oh, here we go. It was fun to watch it was nice and charming if to say as you said before yeah i agree with you i didn't necessarily found it always laugh out loud funny Mm. but it was very clever yes it's a clever clever comedy and i agree with you four out of five from me so that was i love you philip morris yes it was wayne what have you got in store for us next time well we're changing pace next time philip yes cue dramatic music so you know i think you and i are pretty good film reviewers i'd like to think so yeah and i hope our audience <laughs> thinks so too but let's face it we're no david stratton and margaret pomeranz are we no no we're not again these guys have reviewed so many films and i've loved watching them and still absolutely adore them film reviewer goals there is one film that divided them Ooh. so infamously yep. that it's the one film review that will always get mentioned when anyone ever talks about their show the movie show so much so that it was a film that margaret gave four and a half out of five yeah david refused to score it (gasps) so not even give it a zero refused to score it yeah and we're watching that film next time and it's called romper stomper i've heard of that movie never seen it yes there we go it's been a while since i've seen it as well (laughs) so let's watch it together and see if we are and see divided see if we're divided (laughs) (laughs) that's brilliant yeah Make sure to tune in next time for our thoughts and review on Romper Stomper. I've been a Philip Hunting. And I've been a Wayne Stellini. And you've just experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. Hey, Philip. Han shot first. Don't even. Don't even. Don't. And... 